May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Glad you're here today. It's nice to be back. It's always good to go, but it's good to get back. We had a wonderful time away. Um, we didn't have any rain. It was, it was, if you're at the beach, that's a good thing. So that's a good thing. Thank you. All right. Well, today I want to talk to you about this gospel reading. It's Mary and Martha. I'm really preaching to myself. You can ask Kathy. Short, but it's critical. Big idea today is Jesus is the best portion always. This, this gospel is about relationship, relationship with God, with others in your life, and with yourself. So today we, we enter the home of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha are sisters. They're the sisters of Lazarus. Mary appears in the gospel three times. She appears here. She appears at the death of Lazarus, and she appears when she's anointing the feet of Jesus. They lived in Bethany. Bethany's about two and a half miles from Jerusalem. And uh, during Holy Week, when Jesus would be teaching in the temple during the day before, before Maundy Thursday, he would finish up there and they would go to Bethany. I'm assuming he would go and stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus when he was doing this, getting very close to the end of his life. Um, in Luke 9.51, Jesus really starts out for Jerusalem. And they think we probably have about four or five months, maybe six months left in his earthly ministry before that is up, cross, death. And he's looking for some fellowship. He's looking for some refreshment. And he comes to the home of Mary and Martha. There's, dinner is going to be for about 15 people, uh, the, the disciples, Jesus, Mary and Martha, and maybe Lazarus, so maybe it's, maybe it's 16 or so. Martha as she uh, usually does, is overdoing it. She is overworked. She's unable to enjoy her company. She's distracted, troubled. Her face is drawn with anxiety. Do you enjoy your own dinner parties? Do you? Hmm? See, now, sometimes at our house, we will, we will feed or have a dinner for 30 people at one time, 30 people. So, Kathy uses paper plates, plastic cups, plastic utensils, and Sam's. But it's really, really good. And she's not totally distracted about preparing. She can actually interact with the people as they come and go and all the rest of it. It makes a difference. It's about the relationship versus the meal. Meal's important, but relationship is really more important than that. And Martha values service. I would say that her core identity is service. Now, we're saved to serve. Don't get me wrong. That's a good thing. God wants us to be servants, but this is what identifies her. We all have what I call a core identity. You've heard me talk about this before. You know, what if, I, what if my core identity was a naval officer? But then I'm not a naval officer anymore. Well, now who am I? What if my core identity is I'm a doctor? But then Dave, and David's going, no, not so much. Well, if it was, hypothetically, what, I'm, what if I'm not a doctor anymore? What, now what do I do? You know? Or what if it's about relationship? My core identity is I'm a mom. But now my kids have gone, grown up and they've moved away. I don't really... The mom thing isn't so much going on anymore. 
now who am I? And you can think about this. So many people have that core identity that somehow at some point changes, and then there's a question. But if your core identity is, I am a child of God, it never changes. No matter what you do, no matter who your relationships are with, doesn't matter. I always think if you put if you put 12 men in a room that don't know each other, 30 minutes later they will all know what they do. What do you do? What do you do? Oh, I do this. What do you do? Put women in a room that don't know each other, 30 minutes later they're all going to know about each other's kids and how they're all of them, right? I mean, it's true. It's how we identify. Note that Mary left Martha. The meaning of that in terms of a verb is Martha or Mary was in the kitchen with Martha. It's, and then Jesus came and she left the kitchen where she was with Martha. Now she's with Jesus. She was helping Martha before she left Martha. She's not a total slacker. Maybe she was peeling potatoes or I don't know what she was doing. But she was doing something. Now she's out here. And in my, Mary, in Martha's mind, she's doing nothing. Martha went to or approached Jesus. The, the verb there means burst upon. She is angry. She is not a happy camper. And she expects a positive reply from Jesus. She wants Jesus to take her part against her lazy sister. And then he said, well, no, she can stay. They're doing this all myself for you. <laughs> all disappointment is a result of unmet expectations. What did she think was going to happen? She thought Jesus was going to send Mary back into the kitchen to help Martha. But he didn't do it. Now Martha's doing a worthy task, but is consumed with what others are not doing. Martha's the kind of person that can't stand to see other people unemployed. But then Jesus says something that's kind of sweet. Martha, Martha. When he says things twice, it's, it's sweet. Martha, Martha. Chill out. Take a breath. Cool down. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I wish I was a mother hen and I could take you under my wing. At the Last Supper, right before he tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times, he says, Simon, Simon. So this is a Martha, Martha moment. He's trying to get through to her. He tells Martha that Mary's chosen the best part and it's not going to be taken with her, from her. I think Martha accepts this and she probably says, fine. But if the souffle doesn't rise, don't blame me or whatever. All Jesus wants is some quiet. Martha rushes around which is exactly what he does not want. He needs an oasis. Mary gives this to him, Martha doesn't. There's two meals going on here. One is for the body and one is for the soul. The one for the body is service. The one for the soul is worship. Both have their place. You may be familiar or have heard of Brother Lawrence back in the Middle Ages. It, he was with a group of friars, monastery, and his job was in the kitchen. He was the he was a scullery guy. He was always cleaning the pots while his brothers were down there in the church having a service. And he says, God, why don't I get to go down there and do that? I'm always stuck here in the kitchen. 
And the Lord spoke very clearly. He says, are you doing what you're doing for yourself or for others, or are you doing it for my glory? Are you doing those pots for the glory of God? And he began to do the pots for the glory of God, and he was a happy camper. Martin Luther said, there is as much grace and glory in changing a diaper as there is going to church if you're changing the diaper for the glory of God. I think what was more interesting about that, that Luther was talking about diapers. I didn't even know they had diapers when they were. But you get the point? What am I doing? I can be doing something very mundane. I could be mowing the lawn to the glory of God. And begin cleaning my house for the glory of God. And it makes a difference. One thing could mean not only, uh, need only one dish. She could, she could have been saying to Martha, you don't need to do this big gigantic spread. One would be enough. Or you could talk about taking time, slowing down and spending time with the Lord. Could have had a less elaborate dinner. And so now comes the self-preaching part. Our culture is very distracted. Information overload. Relationships suffer when that happens. I remember my first computer. I bought my first computer in 1987. I was at the University of Illinois. I was XO of the Navy unit there at the University of Illinois, and I went down to the place where they where the university bought their computers. And since I was on the faculty, I got a 50% discount. So this computer only cost me 2,500 bucks. Okay? So then when I'm buying it, the guy comes over to me like, you know, hey, he tells me this. This baby has 20 megabytes of hard drive memory. I went. As in million? He goes, you're never going to need more than that. <laughs> My phone has 64 gigabytes of storage and memory. <laughs> I remember when we would go to Honduras in the beginning, we would go to the farm and the boys would be there. At the end of the meal, we'd come back and we'd play games. We'd play Connect Four and we'd play cards and there'd be somebody that could translate. And then Bernardo would always take the group, the group over, the, the boys that were going to graduate, and he'd talk to them about what it meant to be a man and a whatever, and as a citizen, and just really have these in-depth conversations with these young men, teenagers. The last time we were there, that all ended. We didn't do that anymore. We'd go down after dinner, and the boys would be doing something else. They had installed a TV set, and it was like up in the rafter there. And they'd all be staring at it, watching soccer. So all of this relational activity and interaction that we had with them, every time we had gone down there, ended because they put a TV in there. You know, How many of you have an iPhone? Take it out. All right, go to settings, scroll down a little bit, and you'll see screen time. See, hit screen time. 
and you'll see how much time you've been on the phone. Could be hours. Now, it's Sunday morning, so all I have is 16 minutes. But when I was at the beach, it would be four hours, five hours, because I was listening to podcasts or something. It was in hours, not minutes. And I thought, hmm, something's not right here. That's a good way to check. It's built in. It, you can, it, it'll tell you how much of my day is spent on this thing anyway. It's something we never had to ask ourselves before, but now it's a pretty common thing. They have so many labor-saving devices that they do not seem to give us more time. You know, we don't have to go harvest our own food or pump our own water or go down to the stream to clean our clothes. But I've seen people that have done that. If you go to Honduras or middle, you go to South America, you go to Africa, you'll see people on uh, bicycles with all these yellow five-gallon jugs going to get water. Or you're down in, in the middle of the village square and they're pumping water. But what are they doing when they're pumping water? They're talking to each other. Or you'll see them by the river beating their clothes on a rock, literally, even today, but they're talking with one another. We have all these labor-saving devices, but it doesn't seem to add up to relationship very much. Very often, we just kind of retreat back into our own little world, and we're in there by ourselves. It's damaging to self, family, friends, God. Top ten stressors in family life, four have to do with time, overscheduled calendars, it's very often that younger family schedules are controlled by their children's schedules because the children have so many activities that the parents have to get them to. How many families actually have dinner together anymore? Even as the kids were growing up, we always had dinner together, even if it was 9 o'clock at night, because it was important to sit down at the end of the day and say, how was your day, to reconnect with one another. Spouse-to-spouse -spouse time, according to the Wall Street Journal survey, is about four minutes a day of meaningful conversation. Parents with kids runs anywhere from 15 seconds to five minutes. I remember when in the movie Field of Dreams, um, at the very, toward the end, uh, Kevin Costner meets as a young man. And at the end, the father's walking away, and the, and the kid says, hey, Dad, would you like to have a catch? I'd like that. And they start throwing the ball, and Cosner gets choked up because his dad is spending some time with him. Jesus tells Martha that Mary has chosen the better part. Let's see. Wait, 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 wait. We have, uh, along that line, we have deployments in the Navy. I was gone a lot. And if you're not careful... If you're not careful, your kids grow up, and then it's too late. This is that well-known Christian artist, Harry Chapin.
many of you remember that song? Harry Chapin died in an auto accident on the Long Island Expressway in 1984, 40 years ago. Doesn't seem possible. But that song is so true. You know, we think there's always going to be more time, and we'll take advantage of it then, but it's gone. Time. Divorce rates in our nation, uh, about one out of every two marriages fail. Couples that go to church at least once a month together, the divorce rate falls to one in 40. Couples that pray together three to five times a week, the divorce rate drops to one in 1,200. Pray together three to five times a week, the divorce rate drops to one in 1,200. That's because if you're really praying honestly with one another openly, you know what's on each other's hearts. It's not a secret. It doesn't sneak up on you. All right, Kathy and I pray in the morning. We pray at night. It makes a difference. Not to mention God time. God isn't pushy. He waits. Mary chose the better part, and Martha didn't like it. Time with God. By the way, as Martha, as Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, that didn't happen in those days. That didn't happen that a woman was sitting there with a rabbi teaching. In a way, Jesus was a feminist, sort of. Things to do to help relationships. You can schedule simple, regular dates with a spouse or friends, you know. Spend time with the people that, that know you, care about you. Teach your children or your grandchildren games. Kathy's always playing games with her grandkids. Read to them. Go swimming. Take a trip. Build something. Something. Anything. But take time with one another. Participate. Practice simple hospitality. People come to see you, not your house. Okay? Not your house. So today Jesus, Jesus is saying, is not saying that work is unimportant, but we need balance. If the ship is sinking, Mary will say, I'm going to pray. Martha will say, fine, I'll go check on the lifeboat. You need both. Okay? It isn't just one or the other, but we need to have it in balance. Pay attention to the important things in life because it's gone before you know it. And it really does change, I'll tell you. Before you know it, gee, who could that be? That's me on the left with hair. There's Kathy. There's Eleanor. There's Liam on the right, and the one in the middle there is a Navy captain. When did that happen? Holy cow. That's amazing. Somebody wanted to know, somebody looked at that picture in our house and wanted to know, when did Eleanor get all these kids? That didn't make any sense. Thank you. It happens fast. It really does. We had a young guy come up this morning. I've known him his whole life. <laughs> he turned 16, Jack, and he's driving. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Uh, more time with Christ. That's really the essence of this talk today, more time with Christ. Start simple. Maybe in the morning you do a devotional. Read your Bible, pray, 
there are lots of things that are 5 or 10 or 15 minutes you can go to and get on like YouTube, a devotional, somebody speaking in a, in a helpful way. But make it intentional. Wake up with Christ. Go to bed with him as well. First and last thing of your day should be with Jesus. We can all choose the better part without living in the desert and abandoning our responsibilities. We can all begin to slow down a bit and make better choices about how we spend our time. Time management expert was speaking to a group of business students. He pulled out a one-gallon wide-mouth jar and, let it and set it on the table in front of him. Then he took out about a dozen fist-sized rocks and carefully placed them one at a time into the jar. When no more rocks would fit inside, he asked the class, is this jar full? Everyone shouted, yes. He said, oh. He reached under the table, pulled out a bucket of gravel. He poured some in and shook the jar so that the gravel worked its way in between the larger rocks. And then he asked again, is the jar full? By this time, the class was on to him. So they replied, mm, probably not. Good, he said. He reached under the table and brought out a bucket of sand. He dumped the sand in and went into all the spaces left between the rocks and the gravel. Once more, he asked, is this jar full? No, the class shouted. Good, he said again. And then he grabbed a pitcher of water and poured it in until the jar was full to the brim. And then he asked the class, what was the point of this illustration? One eager beaver said, the point is, no matter how full your schedule is, if you try really hard, you can always fit some more things into it. No, he replied, that's not the point. The point is this, if you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. Jesus is saying, time spent sitting at my feet and listening to my words is a big rock. If we aren't careful, busyness will crowd out that essential time we need with the Lord, and even good things, like serving the Lord, can wrongly crowd out the necessary thing, sitting at his feet. Choose the best part. Choose Jesus. Amen.